Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church or how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. All right, well, go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. And typically this time of year, uh, when I preach a, a Palm Sunday uh, triumphal entry sort of message, I normally, I, I normally go to, to Matthew's gospel for whatever reason. I've preached that one for years, that passage for years. Today, I'm going to preach, it's the same story, just from a different angle. Uh, we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm going to preach it from Luke's angle, and this is from Luke the physician's angle. And go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 28 through 40. As always, we're going to have all the passages behind me, uh, all the verses behind me on the screen. And so we're going to look at this incredible account of, well, we call it Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which really takes us into the final week of Jesus' life. So on Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection, but on this Sunday, we celebrate the events that lead up to his death and, of course, resurrection. And if you're taking notes today, uh, the title of my message is very simply this, Great expectations. Great expectations. How many of y'all know God has called us to have great expectations? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come today and we ask that you would do something truly great in our midst. And we know the greatest thing, God, you can do is make much of your son, glorify yourself. I pray today that uh, blinders would be removed. I pray that obstacles would be removed. Lord, I pray that today we would see you, Jesus, clearly for who you are. You are the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And I pray today that we would see you as such, see you as you really are, not according to who we want you to be, but according to who you truly are. And Lord, today we, we ask for an outpouring of grace. Come on, can we lift our hands today to the Lord? We ask for the Holy Spirit of God, we, who we know is here. We know, Holy Spirit, you're with us, but we pray this morning that you would come and strengthen us Give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and our knowledge of you. Lord, I'm asking for a greater insight today. I'm praying for power. I'm praying, Lord, for the ability to see and to hear and to know, deeply know spiritual truths that will set us free. And we ask these things now, God. We just wait on you. We wait. We wait on you. We know you're here, but we wait on you. Take just a minute. Let's wait in his presence. We've been going so fast from place to place. Let's just wait for just a minute. Just wait on the Lord. And as we're in this attitude of prayer, just whatever you need the Lord to do, just ask him right now, just, just quietly, just ask him. Whatever you need him to do, whatever your expectations are, just pray right now. Just take a minute and pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. All right. Luke chapter 19, beginning here in verse 28. Here is what Luke says. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying the following, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. 
untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Verse 34. And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat uh, they, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and what? And praise God with a what? Not softly, but with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And I love Jesus' response. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would what? (laughs) The very stones would cry out. In other words, all creation would cry out and praise me if these don't. What an incredible account here of the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem on what we refer to as Palm Sunday. And essentially, this is the story of Jesus' kingly coronation. And if Jesus really wanted to impress people, well, this was the time to do it. Of course, he had before. Jesus raised the dead. Jesus performed signs, wonders, and miracles. Jesus did many extraordinary things. But perhaps the climax of it all could have taken place at this point in his ministry. And what I mean by that is this, that if Jesus had chosen to, well, this had been the moment to, well, ride into not Jerusalem, but to where? To Rome. Instead of riding in on a colt, this was Jesus' moment to mount Perhaps a black stallion, perhaps a war horse. Instead of going into Jerusalem, Jesus could have gone into Rome and he could have taken his rightful place on the throne in Rome with all the armies of heaven behind him. He could have, in other words, taken his place in Rome. He could have overthrown all of the Jews' enemies. He could have, if he wanted to at this time, destroyed the Jewish Jewish captors, those who were over them. He could have destroyed them and set the Jews free if he had chosen to. But instead here, we read that, that Jesus mounted a colt, not a war horse, not, not a black stallion, but a colt. And he, he rode in, and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he rode in not to crucify others, but to be crucified. He came not to overthrow the, the enemies of the Jews, but he came to be overthrown for the sake of both Jews and Gentiles by his death on the cross. Does that make sense? And so here, as we begin this story, it's awkward for some, those who don't have an understanding of the Old Testament, to get their head around really what's happening here. But the question is, okay, if you don't know that background information, like why would Jesus, why would he choose the colt over the stallion? 
Well, if you're taking notes quickly today, number one, it was to fulfill prophecy. There were dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of prophecies made in what we call the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, about the Davidic king. Most notably in Zechariah 9.9, the Bible says this, 450, perhaps 500 years before, uh, the prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout what? Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is what? Coming to you righteous and having salvation is he. And here's the key. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. So this was prophesied hundreds of years before. And so Jesus comes riding in essentially to fulfill this scripture, but there are others as well. If you remember back, Solomon rode in on David's mule. And now Jesus is riding in on a colt, not just as any king, but as the king of kings and the Lord of all lords. And so he, he chose this cult, he chose this episode to, to, to demonstrate his messiahship, to fulfill prophecy, to fulfill scripture. But also by necessity, if you're taking notes, write this down, number two, to symbolize the nature of his ministry. What kind of ministry did Jesus have? Well, unfortunately, not the kind that some wanted him to have. Jesus came riding in meek, and he came in riding in as a humble Messiah, and he came to bring peace. And how many of y'all know Jesus was not the king of bling, but the king of kings? He wasn't the king of bling. There was no outward flashiness to Jesus insofar as the way he dressed or carried himself, although there's not enough bling in heaven that's worthy of the praise that is due Jesus' name in heaven and earth. There's not enough stuff we can bring that will show him truly his magnificent worth, but he didn't come wearing bling. He came as the king. He came in this certain light, and he, he didn't come to impress the world that is, by the world's standards, instead, Jesus came to save the world through his cross death. And so as we get into the story, Luke, Luke says that this crowd went wild. Raise your hand if you go to festivals every year. Sometimes. Raise your hand if you're too sanctified to ever go again. <laughs> you know, whatever. Okay, I'll leave that up to you. But if you can just picture the scene, Jesus is riding in on the colt. The crowd is going wild. Imagine being there. Imagine knowing what we call Old Testament scripture, Zechariah 9.9 and others, and, and being there as the king rode in. Just picture yourself there. What would you have done? Well, according to this passage, we're told that they, at that time, they laid their cloaks down on the road, which is just another way of saying that they rolled out the red carpet for Jesus. Wouldn't you have done the same? Yes. Knowing what we know, we would have done the same. We would have laid down our cloaks, which by the way, that symbolized surrender to Jesus as the king. By doing so, they were saying that Caesar is not king. Jesus is the king of all kings. How many of y'all know Jesus, not the president, though we're to honor presidents and prime ministers, those in authority, at the end of the day, our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. Can I get a better amen? amen. He is the one we surrender to and submit to and lay our cloaks down for because he's worthy of it all. 
And so they, they did that. They laid down their cloaks. Matthew's version in Matthew 21 says that they laid their palm branches down, which symbolized Jewish nationalism, Jewish victory. It was their way of saying, this is our king, and our king is here to give us victory. Are y'all getting the picture? So, I mean, this was a, this was a huge celebration. As mentioned hundreds of years before, Solomon rode in on David's uh, mule, but, but now we see Jesus riding in, and we can say it this way using Jesus' own words, something greater than Solomon has arrived. Solomon had his bling. He had his point. He had his purpose in history. But we serve Jesus, the king of all kings. And in this account, we see him riding in humbly, but at the same time, rightly receiving all of the praise that was due his name. In Matthew's account, they, they cried, Hosanna, which means save, oh, save. They cried, Hosanna. They, they recognized Jesus as a sort of deliverer. Let me say it this way. They praised Jesus as the one who would deliver them from their Roman oppressors. They recognized him as such. Because watch this, it was Passover time. And at Passover time, the Jews would think back to how, how God had emancipated their ancestors, how God had delivered the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. Y'all remember the story? Well, when we think Passover, historically going back to the Old Testament, that's what Jews thought of. They thought of their ancestors' deliverance from Egyptian captivity. But as Passover approaches, the Jews at this time are expecting someone like Moses, a greater Moses, a Messiah, who would deliver them from their Roman oppressors. Does that make sense? So that, that's what they're expecting. They had national hopes. They had political hopes. And they believed that Messiah would come. And here is Jesus riding in. And they recognized him. And they praised him as a sort of deliverer. How many of y'all know they had great expectations? <laughs> is that fair to say? Have I painted the picture accurately and clearly enough for you to get into this and say they had great expectations? Do y'all agree? They certainly did. And if you're living at that time, you would have too. Because if you had been under Roman oppression, you too would want a political Messiah to come and to set you free and to give you freedoms that you didn't have, right? They had great expectations, but unfortunately, many people would be let down. Why is that? Well, because the one whom they thought would defeat their enemies ended up being defeated by their enemies. Does that make sense? The very one that they thought would come and overthrow the Romans, well, was nailed to a cross by the Romans. And so in many ways, they, well, they were let down. And I'm sure very disappointed because of the, uh, at least end result on the cross where Jesus died. And so during this final week, of course, the Jews were busy preparing for Passover. They were busy selecting their Passover lambs. But how many of y'all know God had already chosen his? 
<laughs> the Jews were selecting theirs, but before the foundation of the world, God had already chosen Jesus as the lamb who would be slain for the sin of the world. God had already decided that it wouldn't be through the blood of a bull or a goat or an earthly lamb that people would be redeemed, but it would only be through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain for them and for us. Okay? So, so that's what's happening in, in this passage. Jesus is riding in not to crucify, but to be crucified ultimately. That's where he's going. And so on one hand, we rejoice, but on the other hand, well, it's a time of mourning because although they recognized Jesus as the Messiah, they didn't have the full understanding of what kind of Messiah he truly was. Many people just simply didn't see Jesus or believe in him in the proper light. They saw him as a conquering Messiah, but they failed to see him as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. They failed to see the ultimate purpose for why Jesus came. I've written it this way. They, 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 they knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't understand the nature of his Messiahship. They knew that Jesus was king, but they didn't understand what kind fully, what kind he was. Because instead of taking his place on a, his rightful place, I would say, on a golden throne, Jesus was lifted up on a wooden cross in shame and in humiliation. And we know from this account and from scripture, Jesus did not come to liberate the Jews from the Romans. Listen carefully. He was lifted up. He came and he died to liberate all people, Jews and Gentiles, from the power and the penalty of sin. They wanted one kind of liberation, and you would have too. Wouldn't you? I promise we all would. We would have been there going, Hosanna, Hosanna. I would add, Jesus, please kick the Romans' tails right now. And maybe you would choose some other words. I'll let that be between you and the Lord. But wouldn't we cry out like that? If we had been oppressed as a people from, from generation to generation, we would have done the same most likely. So let's not give ourselves too much of the benefit of the doubt. We know the rest of the story because we're on this side of history. But if you're in history, you probably would have only seen Jesus in one light, right? So we have to be careful not to judge them too harshly. But here's what I want to get to. Jesus disappointed many people then. And he continues to disappoint people to this very day. Why? Because oftentimes we have expectations that Jesus did not come to meet. Let me say it again, because this is super counterintuitive to many of you here. Jesus disappointed many people then. They wanted one thing and they got something else. He continues to do the same today and will continue to all through history until he comes back. Because oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes we have expectations of God, of Christ, that Jesus, that God isn't interested in meeting, at least not right now. And I want to highlight, at least not right now. Raise your hand if you have some expectations of God and from God. Well, need, not all of you. Put your, I need to, I'm not going to preach this. I'm going to preach faith. 
How many of y'all know we should have expectations of God and from God? The Bible tells us we should. Let me see your hands if you do. You do. If you pray, that means you've got some expectations. Yeah, to meet with God, but also ask, knock, seek, right? We're, we're commanded to, to do that, right, as believers. Do you know that you are commanded to have great expectations? Did you know you're, it's warranted from Scripture to have great expectations? But listen carefully. We have to make sure that our expectations are grounded in God's promises, not in our presumptions. Okay, I'm going to step on toes, and y'all know my name is Scott, and I'm always your friend. From this side all the way around to this side. We should have great expectations, but we have to make sure that our expectations are grounded in his promises, not our presumption. And there are times when, let's just be honest, we're presumptuous before the Lord. But here's the, here's the upside, the upshot to this is that when you ask in faith, if you want to put a smile on the face of God, yes, it's important to know what to ask for, but it's even more important, perhaps, in that moment that not just what you ask, but how you ask in faith. You want to put a smile on the face of God? The Bible says in Hebrews, it's impossible to please God without faith. And listen, Scripture can correct wrong asking, but it takes a supernatural work of the Spirit to evoke a supernatural faith. The unbelief is one thing that we have to work to overcome because I think in some cases, some people, they don't have any expectations because their faith is so low. I'm going to err on the side of the Lord. Here are my expectations. i got great faith. I'm believing you because even if you don't come through, even if my asking is wrong, I'm still going to approach you in faith because that's the way you're honored. Does that make sense? So I'm trying to be easy on you in that regard because I get it if you have great expectations, you got faith and you're going, you're wanting to see God move, you're wanting to see him do things. I get it, I promise, I get it. But most of us here, at, we, we, we have expectations of God, but let's be honest. Some of our expectations are biblical and some of them are unbiblical. Some of our expectations are right, but some of our expectations are misplaced. They're misplaced. For example, every single person here beginning with me wants an easy life. Raise your hand. Like, uh, what, those of you have your hands down. You don't have to participate. But I'm just saying. Okay. And you know what? I have an easy life in comparison to some of y'all. Okay? It's, it is relative, right? I mean, when you think you've suffered, then you hear about somebody else's suffering. That doesn't minimize what you've gone through, right? But it does contextualize it, and it's a reminder you're not the only one suffering. Raise your hand if you want an easy life. Like, if I had designed my life, it'd be just, I get saved, and it's just a straight shot to glory, you know? No potholes, no detours, no disappointments. Like, every day is a Friday, as Brother Joel says, you know? It's just, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? How many of y'all know? It's not that way. Many days are incredible. I, I, can't, I can't believe how blessed I am. I can't believe how healthy I am and my family is and you are. I mean, yes, there are problems, but aren't we blessed? Yeah. So in many ways, God has answered that prayer. God has met that expectation. And we should thank God for his goodness to us at the temporal level, right? But, but because things are often that way, sometimes we rush to the judgment. We presuppose that things should always be that way. And then when we're not that way, then we oftentimes lose faith in God. Because, Lord, you promised. How many of y'all know? 
Nowhere in scripture does God promise that we will have an easy life. Not once. But what God does promise is eternal life. Which is way better, isn't it? But in a lot of cases, it's not an either or, it's a both and. But, but the ultimate hope for us, it's not an easy life, it's eternal life. And what's to come gives us hope for what is right now, doesn't it? And so we have to make sure that our, our expectations are grounded in Scripture. I've been saying this, I think I've said it for the last two Sundays in a row. I have the gift of repetition, bear with it. God does not promise us that all things will work out the way we want them to. But he does promise that all things will work for our good if we love him and have been called according to his purpose. Doesn't, doesn't the scriptures promise that? That's what the Bible promises. And thank God, watch this. I'm trying to be as balanced as I can here. Oftentimes, things do work out as we pray, don't they? Sometimes they don't when we pray, but they do eventually. But, but nonetheless, we've got to make sure that what we're praying for is grounded in God's promises, not our presumption. Does that make sense? God never said that everything in life would be good. He said that all things work together for our good if we love God and are called according to his purposes. And just a side note, this isn't in my notes, but it's in my head, so I'm going to share. I preach the way I do for the main purpose of getting the scriptures into you. Because there's so many other things that are trying to get into you and have found their way into you. They're not from God that will build, make for terrible theology. And when the storm comes, if you want to know how strong your theology is, it's not when the sun's out in your life. It's when the storm comes. That's the test. And so my aim is not to, to go long in the service, to you know, just be the deep guy, to be the theologian. I mean, if you're a Christian, you are a theologian, either a good one or a bad one. It's not just the stuff I do. It's the stuff all of, all of us do we do theology if you teach at school, if you work offshore, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you sell real estate, if you build homes. We are all theologians. At least we should be good theologians. Some of us aren't so good. And hey, guess what? That's why you come to church to get better. I just got a message yesterday from someone that thanked me just for simply preaching the word of God. I said, it's my job and it's my joy. Because this person thanked me because the word of God is, they're understanding the word of God for the first time and they're getting the things of God. And, and it's my joy when, when I see the light, the light turn on in people's heads and hearts and when they, they go to scripture instead of to one-liners that are just flipped around on social media that may be truth or founded on scripture, but oftentimes they just sound good, but there's no substance. And the way you know is when the storm comes, do you stand or do you fall? That's why I preach the way I do to you. So we get in the text to understand God's heart, to understand the word, so that going out those doors, we build our lives on scripture, on God's eternal truth, not our fleeting opinions. Does that make sense? And I'm not saying I'm better. Thank God for all the preachers in town that do it the same way. I'm just saying that, that's, my, that's my agenda. That's why I'm here. So Jesus died... 
Some of my notes, this is really cool. Some, some of my notes are like in 16 font. It's really cool. I don't have to wear my glasses. I may do that next Sunday because I hate putting these things on. So I, I don't have to put them on for this. Jesus died. If I had my way, I wouldn't need glasses. Jesus saw it fit to do it another way. Jesus, listen, Jesus died on a Roman cross. Check it out. And for those who didn't understand who he was and what he came to accomplish, their hopes died with him. Does that make sense? If you're expecting Jesus to mount the black horse, the war horse, and to ride into Rome to destroy the Romans, well, if Jesus instead is delivered to the Romans, they nail him to the tree and he dies on the cross. If your hope is built on the former, then it's going to fall apart when the latter takes place, when you see your Messiah nailed to the cross. Right? It had to have been devastating for some people to hear that the, the, the Davidic king was crucified. Let me ask you a question. And this is in smaller font. How, how do you respond when your hopes have died? What do you do when your Messiah doesn't come through for you? How do you respond? I'll tell you how I think we're supposed to respond. Number one. What do you do when you've prayed for one thing, but something else happens? What do you do when you feel let down? Man, a couple seasons ago, I was there. I felt that way. You ever felt that way? There's a song, and I don't like singing it. At least this part of it. You're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. You don't want me to sing because I'll let you down. <laughs> Y'all know the song? There's some good things in it, but that's just not true. Raise your hand if you've ever prayed and God did something and you're like, that was awesome. Praise God. Raise your hand if you prayed and God did nothing. Question, did he let you down in a sense? Did he? I know what the song's trying to say. There's a better way to say it. We have all felt let down before. Every single one of us who have prayed and failed to receive the answer to that prayer. We are in this together. So what do you do when that happens? Number one. You praise him anyway. You praise him anyway. The crowd praised him on Sunday. Just a question. Where were they on Friday? It's one thing to praise him when he's riding in, connecting dots scripturally. How many of y'all know they should have continued to connect dots scripturally? Isaiah 53, suffering servant, Jesus died. But, 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 but many were disappointed when Messiah was crucified because their hopes died with him. And Jesus was nailed to a cross and it looked like at that time he was doing nothing. But even then, how many of y'all know, he was doing something. He was doing what only he could do for them. Not doing what they wanted him to do, but doing what he needed 
what, what they needed him to do, which was die for their sin. If he had skipped that agenda and destroyed the Romans, that would have been temporary help. But Jesus didn't come to give us temporary deliverance. He came to die to free us eternally from the power and the penalty of sin. And if they had recognized it, they, had, they would have been praising him even on that Friday. Because our, our, our Messiah died, but he rose back to life with all the promises of God in his hand. And all the promises of God are yes and amen. And we must live that way. Realizing that even when it seems like God is doing nothing, he is doing something. And it's better than what you would ever expect. A lot of people just praise God when he comes through for them in the way they expected. But how many of y'all know he is worthy of our praise in every season and in every situation? Jesus said that if these were silent, the stones would cry out. My friends, don't let the stones in your yard or wherever they rest, I'll praise you. The creation will cry out if we don't. Could it be that God is working through your suffering? Thank God for the healing. If I have cancer and I'm dying, save Romans 8.28 for later, at least as it applies to this life. You know I'm teasing about that, but I'm saying... Yes, thank you for the promises that are to come. But I want you while I'm still alive. If I've still got a, I've got a beat in my heart and I've got air in my lungs, would y'all come pray that I'd be healed? Would y'all march, march around my hospital bed like you know, the walls of Jericho? I mean, do it. Anoint me with anything you want. Would y'all pray that I'll be raised up? I'm going to do that for you. But there's something that God does in suffering. We want to avoid it. We want to avoid it at all costs. But could it be that suffering is oftentimes the very thing God sends directly into your life to cause you to be more dependent on him, to conform you to his image, to wean you off the world, and to draw you close to God? I think the answer is yes. I know the answer is yes. And it hurts. And we must grieve with those who grieve. I've been, it seems like recently I've done more funerals and been to just walking people through more tragedy than I can remember in a long time. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, church, we will fear no evil. Because our God is for us. Number two. And we're almost done. Y'all believe that? Number two. Number one, praise him anyway. Number two, Remember, this is big. This is big. Remember. It's, it's, it's smaller, okay? <laughs> not now. Not now. Everybody say not now. Not now doesn't mean not ever. Jesus came as the true king to deliver the Jews but not in the way and not in the timing they expected. 
many of you have cried out for God to bring deliverance in a situation. And you feel like he hasn't answered. Or if he has, the answer is no. Remember, not now doesn't mean not ever. It just means that God has a purpose for you while you wait. And he's doing something in you while you wait. If you can lean in, and in your deepest pain, lean in, are you suffering today? That's a part of identifying with Christ in his suffering. Lean in to Christ. Hold on to him. Because just, just because God hasn't come through for you yet, doesn't mean that he won't. That's why you gotta keep praying, not lose heart. Jesus says in John 14, one to the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. In the Greek, it's strong. Don't let your heart be stirred. Don't let your heart be stirred. Trust God. Believe God. Trust his word. Knowing that he sees everything you're going through. He's a debtor to no one. He keeps his word. He keeps his promises. And so you've got to trust, listen, listen, y'all, trust his heart, which means also trusting his timing. You've been crying out for a, a spouse. You're crying out for a new job. Both of those can be godly if you're asking for the right type. Single people, did you get that? <laughs> the right kind. God's doing something in you while you wait. Just let that sink into your soul. Right now, not just when he answers, but while you wait. I love what John Piper says. This is like as common as John 3.16 around here. It's such a powerful quotation. Listen to what he says. If you're weeping, if you're having a hard time today, listen to what he says. Occasionally, weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be. Grieve the losses. Feel the pain. Then, after you've done that, wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life he's given you. So there's a time to weep. There's a time to grieve. There is. Don't circumvent that. Embrace it. Ecclesiastes said there's a time for everything. There's a time to weep. There's a time to grieve. For some people, they go on in that season indefinitely, and that's not God's will. There's a time to go there, but we don't stay there. Come on, we get up and we wash our face because we know that Jesus has cleansed us from our sin, and we know that the best is yet to come for us. That's the way we live. That's basic Christianity for us because we know the promises of God. And never forget this. If God never did another thing for us, he has already done more than we deserve. So when things don't go our way, we isolate that. And we forget about all the other areas where God has come through. 
Great is your faithfulness, O God. Let it come out of your mouth. Great is your faithfulness, O God. You brought the sun up today. You sustain me through the night. Great is your faithfulness, my God. You're a good God. You're good and you only do good. Finally, when Jesus entered Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is this mountain range just east of, of the city of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives was the place, if you remember in the Old Testament, that's where, where David wept. It was the place, of course, where Jesus would weep over the Jews' rejection of his Messiahship. And I've been there. I've actually, I gave a devotional back in 2020 before the pandemic. I got home back to the States, I think like two weeks before the pandemic. But hey, if you're going to be stuck somewhere, I guess the Holy Land's not a bad place. Depends on what's going on at that time, right? <laughs> but shut down, confined, you know, with people learning about the Holy Land at the time, that, that might have been okay. But anyway, I got home. Thank God I got home. And I reflected back on my trip. And I actually, I, I stood on the Mount of Olives. Uh, and, and the dean of Regent Divinity School asked me to give a devotional there on the Mount of Olives. And when the dean of Regent Divinity School asks you to do something, well, you do it, right? Uh, it, it, but it was, my, it was my joy to share some of the history of the Mount of Olives and what had happened there. And essentially, I shared that the Mount of Olives was known for a lot of things, but primarily, historically, you can say it was a place of weeping. And to this very day, if you can Google it, go there if you'd like, if you have the, the, the money, the time. The slope is covered with graves. There are 150,000 graves across the Mount of Olives. It's just an astonishing sight to behold. And the Jews believe that when Messiah comes, the resurrection of the dead will begin in that very place, at the place of weeping. Zechariah 14, 4 says it this way, on that day, his, God's feet, will stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to west by a very wide valley. Now think about this, Jesus rode into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And according to scripture, this is the place where the resurrection of the dead will begin. It's the place where the Mount will be split in two, the graves will open, those who believed in Christ will rise and that place will be the place where God comes and begins to set up his kingdom on this earth. <laughs> and this is a reminder for you right now, maybe you're in that season, uh, it's characterized by the Mount of Olives, like you're in that place of weeping. You're in that place of despair. But I promise you y'all, if things don't get better in this life the way things are, Jesus is coming back. The sky is going to split, and on that day, he's going he's to make every wrong right. He's going to repay you. He's going he's to resurrect you. He's going to usher his kingdom into this world in the fullness of it. What the Jews expected in Jesus' day will be realized on that final day when Jesus Messiah makes his triumphal entry into this world and defeats sin, death, darkness, and all of his enemies once and for all. How many are looking forward to his triumphal entry once again? He came riding into Jerusalem on a colt. 
But Revelation 19 says he's coming back on a white horse with a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth to strike down the nations to tread out the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. <laughs> You're like, do I clap? What do I do with that? You rejoice because for us, my fellow saints, brothers and sisters, the best is yet to come. So lift up your heads. Come on, let's lift up our hands. Hosanna, Hosanna. Great are you, O God. Savior, Redeemer, Jesus, we worship you on this Palm Sunday. And Lord, I pray right now that you, Jesus, would make a grand entry into this place in a fresh way in our hearts and our minds to give us revelation, fuller revelation of who you are. Come on, saints, lift your hands. Let's celebrate. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you.